one of the most liberating things that I ever did for myself was give myself permission to strive towards happiness the way I strive towards everything else. Once you do that, then things have to change. Welcome to the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast. My name is Gibran Rivera, and I'm a facilitator. Here I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I get to interview one of my very best friends, Malia Lazu. Malia is a culture creator and a brilliant strategist. We get to talk about her latest venture, the Urban Labs, which helps companies to activate the power of cultural competency. Malia and I talk a bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how painful those processes can often be. We talk about the need to make them joyful, because it should be fun, and it should feel good to learn how to be different together. Malia hosts her own podcast, The Heart of the Matter. I invite you to listen to it. We talk about experimentation, and we talk about the work of evoking audience participation. Malia recently invited me into something called InterX, which was hosted at Hubwick here in Boston, and she described it as a mix of the Black Church, Ritual Circle, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you can already imagine the kind of creativity and, and cultural impetus in this conversation. I invite you to listen in and, and, of course, to please send me a note and tell me what you think. These are still the early days of the podcast, and your feedback is invaluable. I hope you enjoy. I certainly did. Malia, welcome. So exciting to have you here again, even though our listeners will only think of it as the first time. Um, <laughs> Malia and I are, are very good Malia is one of my best friends, and I've actually tried to interview Malia uh, probably three times. Trying three. To, <laughs> trying to get this podcast right. Um, I am grateful for your patience, and I'm super excited that our listeners will get to hear about you, your story, and about your latest project, the Urban Labs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on with all the official things. I know it's being recorded now. Um, and your listeners should know that that's just not surprising between you and me, that it would take us our fourth time of trying to use technology um, to to get it right. Um, so it's wonderful to be here. Um, the Urban Labs is my latest, you know, career. What do they say? You have like seven careers in a life or, or whatever. Um, but I've transitioned out of doing change work through nonprofits um, to do change work with um, corporations and different brands looking to enter the 21st century in a really authentic way um, and to find diversity and inclusion um, and the cultural shifts needed for long-term impact to be fun um, and enjoyable rather than such a slog. Thank you uh, for being so clear about that, especially this log part. What What is it about us that makes us think that to make good things happen or change happen, we have to be boring or in pain? Yeah, I don't, 
I don't know, but I got the revelation when I was leading um, a group of theater board directors. And, you know, these are folks who sit on theater boards and, um, you know, wanted to figure out how to have more diverse audience, have more diverse board members. Um, and the the whole energy about it was like, oh, well, we don't have the money. We don't have this. Um, and I finally just said, you know, we're fun to hang out with. Like, this doesn't have to be so painful. Like, you know, we're talking about bringing diverse audiences to theaters. Like, why doesn't that sound like, it sounds like fun to me. Um, and it was this moment where I realized that the conversation, and maybe because it's that we have to sell the problem, um, but the conversation sets the tone um, and therefore probably sets the solutions. Um, and so, yeah, if it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. But um, if it's going to be fun or worth, you know, pleasurable, right? Like it just doesn't have to be painful. It can, it can actually be something um, that it's not that it's, you're not uncomfortable, um, but you can find ways to find joy in it. That's right. That's right. I, I so appreciate that. Uh, I keep coming, keep trying to hold the lesson that the, the quality of your life is the quality of your questions. This idea that our, our brain will answer whatever question we ask it. So if we ask it, um, why does the world suck? It will tell you all the reasons why the world sucks. But if you ask it, how can I contribute to a more beautiful world? Then it will help you answer those questions. And it seems like that's a turn you've taken. I think curiosity mm -hmm. um, and the willingness to want to be um, changed. And, and well, I think those two things are critical to um, having a healthy life with other people, right? And you can choose a different life. Um, you know, you can choose to live an insular, insular life. Um, but if you don't want to, you know, and if you want to live a life in the world um, and in the 21st century, um, to be open to be changed is not something to be scared of. Um, but I think, you know, we can all think of the ways that diversity has added to our lives. And I'm, you know, I'm not just saying like, oh, I, you know, I love Mexican food, right? Like, um, you know, but when we think about what, you know, the role that Haiti played with, you know, our founding fathers, um, you know, in the idea of democracy and, um, you know, how the American Indians also put their, you know, some of their theories have gotten into, you know, the European Enlightenment experiment that is America. Right? Like, I mean, let's appreciate some of that. It's good. It's fun. Yeah, we, we well, you and I both have shared Puerto Rican heritage, right? And yes, we do. That would not have even been a possibility, right? Without without the horrors of uh, the conquista and the Middle Passage, and and yet here we are in that blend of African, Indigenous, and European uh, with this culture that that is so beautiful and has such a huge footprint for being this tiny little island. Absolutely. I mean, my cousin recently did um, his 23andMe. 
And this is my father's first cousin, right? Puerto Rican. Um, although, you know, he was the one with the pretty light eyes, right? Like, I think every Puerto Rican family has someone with, like, the light eyes, right? Like, where they're like, oh, that's blue. Um, and, you know, and he got his, when he got his DNA back, he was 20% Portuguese, 17 points Spain or whatever it's called, and then 17 points Congo region. Mm. Um, and then it went on, you know, and then like the next one was, um, you know, American Indian from North and, you know, Central and South America. Right. And as I was reading this list, I realized that I realized a why Tainos are so important in our heritage, right? Cause they were the people of the islands but we as Puerto Ricans are not that, right? In order to be a Puerto Rican, it means that you've lived through that and you've also lived through the, you know, the Spanish colonization um, and then the American, right, colonization. Um, and so that's how you become Puerto Rican, right? Like there, you, there's actually no other way to do it because if you're not that, then you're Taino. right. Right, 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 exactly, exactly. And so there's no way to be Puerto Rican and not understand the value of diversity, right? The mix, right? The, the salsa, if you will, of it all. Exactly, exactly. And I think at the end of the day, it also speaks to the resiliency. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't just mean like, you know, of the people or of the culture. I think I mean all of those things, but I also mean biologically, right? Like we know diversity is important in biology, in science, in, right? I mean, in revenue streams, right? Like diversity makes you resilient. A businessman will tell you that and a doctor will tell you that and a scientist will tell you that, right? Um, and so to see this mix, which which ended with one point, he had like 1% Swedish, you know? I mean, it's like, right. Like, yeah, we're going to live, we can live through some hurricanes. <laughs> that's, that's a good perspective. And we have, and, and we, we have, and we that's have. why we have. That's right. That's beautiful. I, I want to get into what, what the urban labs does. And, and I'm specifically right now thinking about the Interex, which you invited me to be a part of a, a Boston's Hub Week, and and it was definitely a a, diver, a diversifying endeavor in that context, and it brought so much flavor and and fun and wisdom uh, to a space that is supposedly meant for that, and and I think it, it holds that pretty well, but but you injected it with a, a, an aliveness that I think they're longing for that we know will make it better. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came up and, and more about what it was? So Interx has been this dream that I have had for several years. Um, and the idea came as, you know, really as you, we were seeing these amazing content creation platforms like TED, The Moth, right? Um, you know, just talk as entertainment. Um, and... What I realized was that I was loving this, um, but it wasn't 
Like, I mean, Brene Brown, these people were changing my life, my life, the way I think about things. Um, but there was something that I felt wasn't reflective. And it wasn't that I wasn't watching a diverse cadre of people explain to me these great ideas. Um, and I realized as, you know, I was talking with people and, and producing the uh, types of events that we produce that culture is so important in anything you do. Um, and culture defies race, right? Um, for example, some people question my Puerto Ricanness because I don't speak Spanish. Um, terrible people. Terrible people. Like my aunt. <laughs> <laughs> like my father's sister. Um, no, but, you know, culture can surpass all of that, right? Um, and that's why we talk... That's why we even have labels like a Tom or an Oreo or, right? I mean, like what we're saying is, oh, you're that color, but you're not of that culture. Right. 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 That's what, you know, that's what the M&M thing is, right? Like, oh, you're of the black culture, but you're not that race, right? That, that's what all of those sort of labels suggest. Um, and I think there's aspects of culture that, um, could really benefit talk as entertainment. And what I started thinking about and the pillars that started really inspiring me were the Black Church, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, the Ritual Circle, um, the Apollo Theater, the Charismatic Church, right? There's these places where people need to interact in order to have the event itself, right? Like a dead audience in ritual circle, right? Like people who don't want to participate in circle. Mm -hmm. You're not in circle, right? You're not in ritual. Um, same with the Apollo, right? Um, I mean, a cultural church, a cathedral of America, and you can get booed off that stage if the audience doesn't want to hear you. Right. There's participation is not only um, desired, but it's needed in order for what's happening on the stage to go off. <coughs> and so that's what I decided I wanted to inject, um, you know, into this idea of talk as entertainment, you know, and really say, like, not how do we make it Ted in blackface, Right. Like, but how do we make it of a culture that's recognizable to others that might not be represented um, in American culture in that way? Wow. What a what a powerful, powerful inspiration. I, I want to say, I don't know if I've already said this to you, but. I just really wanted to commend you, not only on the achievement of doing it, but on running such a bold experiment so loudly, <laughs> right? To like really bring a bunch of us to this space where that kind of interactive aliveness, where you you wrap up in song, right? Or, or we facilitate in the middle of it a, a conversation. Uh, 
it was it was all it was very clear uh, to me as a participant that that all of this was new uh, and so it comes with all of the things that are new like it, it wasn't like everything was perfect but it was such a bold experiment that gave us so much information about what to do next and i think that's that's i bring that up because that's a, at the heart of this evolutionary leadership framework the idea that we have to focus on our intention harness the purpose, our inner purpose, focus on human connection, and focus on relentless experimentation. And I just thought you, your experiment was was bold and loud and courageous and, and, and phenomenally uh, successful, uh, certainly in itself, but also in terms of what is next for, for this kind of work. Thank you so much for that, because um, it, you know, it absolutely was. And I, what's great about how I create is that I create through, like, I was going to say I create through tongues. Um, I create, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, I, you know, like I, um, while I'm getting input from people and getting feedback and, you know, thinking about what I want to produce, um, there really is a type of channeling, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, that happens, I think. And um, so I'll do, you know, I'll do it. And then it's not until like a couple of weeks before that I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're about to pull this off, right? Like at Hub Week. Um, and, but I think you, if you're not, if you want to experiment, you have to, you have to set things up so that if things are going to fail, they will fail there. And I'm not saying you set it up for failure, but you have to actually do it, right? Like you can't do an experiment and say like, oh, this is what we're going to do, you know, in the cold, but we're going to train in the heat, right? Like you you can't right. do that. Right. You have to actually set up the parameters so that they're as much, right? Like, I mean, any experiment, any study, right? You have to set up the parameters so that they're as realistic as possible to get people's realistic reactions, Right. So I think that that's just really important. And if you fail, like no one gets mad at you failing. People get mad at being sold a, you know, a bill of goods or, you know, being lied to. Right. Um, And, you know, from the very beginning, right, like we were like, this is a pilot. Like we're going to see if we can do this. Um, And, you know, I chose Hub Week because the mainstream audience that I'm looking to, um, you know, engage with, um, I felt could be found there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, to, I mean, to speak it plainly, right. It's like, what kind of white people do we want here? Um, and what kind of white people do we think will come? Right. And whatever we mean by that label. Right. I don't just mean all white people. I'm sure there's people of color in there as well. But, you know, like um, and because I do think that that we're not as far apart as we think we are. Right. So, you know, so the Hub Week audience for me, like I was like, if there's going to be any audience that's going to be into this um, from the white perspective, um, cause I thought that it would look very familiar to people of color, right? Like, um, the, you know, the stage was going to look familiar, um, right. The flow having a mix of 
professors, you know, facilitators, singers was all, you know, like, oh yeah, that's church, right? Like that, like we, we mix everything up and, you know, we'll present them. But so, you know, I just, I thought that that would be familiar to audiences of color, but I didn't know if it was going to be, feel welcoming um, to, you know, a larger majority. Um, and so, yeah, we did it there. Um, and, you know, it was the one day that it downpoured rain. And can I just say one thing about that, too? Because I was so happy people came. I mean, I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, no one's going to come. Um, but I wanted to do something that night that I couldn't do because, unfortunately, um, Iraq was um, home healing from back surgery. Shout out to Iraq. Um, but I was going to have foundation movement in the middle of the perform, you know, of the night come out and start doing a performance and we were going to cut all the power. They were going to do a performance on Puerto Rico and we were going to cut all the power and they were going to finish their performance in the dark. And that rain would have, that would have been so powerful. Wouldn't have been like to have foundation movement doing a piece on Puerto wow. Rico wow. in the dark with the rain and lightning and thunder coming down. Um, but shout out to Latia who was able to come in, um, after, yeah, she brought it, she brought, you know, and, um, yeah, no, it was, it was a really great time. I think it helped me understand that this is something, you know, that we're going to do again. Um, and that the interaction is doable. Yeah. Right. And it's not just doable um, with, you know, a certain culture of people, but it's really a place where everyone can come um, and experience a different culture. Can I say something about that? I'm sorry. I just want to go on a tangent and sorry, listeners. Um, so <laughs> this is why we're here. Right. Bring your magic. Um, so I was having a conversation the other day with a, you know, dear ally um, of mine. And I was struggling, you know, it's always hard when you see like how easy white people can build in our community, right? Like even when it's your friends and you love them and you know, like, it's still like, Oh yeah, wow. You're just going to do this. And then it's going to be done because people are going to be like, of course it's going to work. Right. Like, and you know, so we were just having that conversation, you know, and like, and how does that look like? And then, you know, for community support and, you know, for people who can't leverage, their privilege, right? Um, and I realized while, while talking that one of the things that's so important about societal relationships or any relationship is, is that both sides come over to each other's side, if that makes any sense, right? So, you know, the idea of everyone of like us doing the same thing together. Okay, yeah, that sounds nice. But the idea of us doing each other's things like sounds even better to me. And I think that's like my ultimate goal with interacts is like when I say, you know, this is like a cultural difference. It's because I think this is what this is something that comes, the culture that is being offered can be additive to mainstream society. You know, there's there's so many threads to pick up here. I'm, I'm going to have to exercise some level of discipline, but uh, what is reminding me... Don't, of, don't exercise discipline. 
What is Boring. <laughs> Thought we were emergent, evolving leaders. Well, discipline is not something that we have excelled at together. No, when we're together, no. we don't. Yeah, true. But but to get to what 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 your last comment reminded me of, and I'm I'm actually going to come back to the tongues as well. Uh, but what your last comment reminded me of was our early days as activists and organizers. And there was this, this progressive organization in Boston 20-something years ago that was very interested in bringing people of color into the fold. They wanted to. Right? What they did not know was that what they wanted was to bring people of color into the conversation that they were already having. <laughs> right. right. Not understanding that when you bring new people to the table, then the conversation is going to change. And that was that was. And really, maybe even where the table is should change. The whole thing. And, and I remember how hard that was for this very good, very well-meaning people because they have been working on, a, on an answer for a while and they just wanted us to know what the answer was and to run with it. And, and so it's just interesting. That or to this, get uh, to get feedback on the answer. Right. That, so that's the level of participation. Oh, right. And, and I think it's similar to what you're talking about. But but I, I go back to tongues because I don't know that people understood the point of reference in this case. And and we're speaking about the Pentecostal tradition. We're speaking about praying in tongues. We're speaking about the posture that one has to take to both be open-hearted, right, and to be a channel. And that is a part of, of creativity that is not talked about often enough. And, and you're not only talking well about it, but, but you're living your way into it. And, and I, I've just appreciated witnessing that over the years. I want to say another word. I'm, I'm bringing you into a conversation about culture, because you, you were so eloquent about it. Uh, I think of culture as the interior of the we. So the example I give when I teach this is there's an objective I, right? The you right now can agree that I am Gibran. And there's a subjective I. There's a universe of things inside myself that I'll never know, that you'll never know, some of which I will know and you'll never know, some of which will be really obvious to you looking from the outside and I will successfully hide from myself. But it's a subjective thing. Nobody can fully agree on what's inside me, but, but we know that it's there. We look into it. We have coaches and therapists, right? And like we, well, people with some level of privilege have that. But, but if not, you have a pastor. Or like you, We look inside the eye. It's a subjective eye. And then there's an objective we, right? There's the two of us in this room right now. There's the communities that we work with. Somebody from the outside can point towards that we. But then there's also this subjective we, this interior of the we that is the parallel to the interior of the I. And that's the space of culture. And unless we bring our conscious attention to it, then it's something that's just going to be happening to us is conditioned is inherited well i think especially right now right when so much of culture is marketed to us right 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 don't say more about that well because i'm right there with you well i think and it's i i love this concept of the you know the internal we and then 
it's ultimately the social agreements, um, you know, that we decide, right? Like, um, of what culture is. And I think, you know, you can't, um, you have to layer power on that, right? Like you said, history, right? All of these things. Um, and now we have to lay on marketing and right where capitalism has gone. Um, so I think that there was a time where the culture was, I mean, just to talk about even, you know, pop culture, right? Like there was a time where um, regional sounds were something that were to that region, right? Um, and people would need to travel to find out about it and then like bring it back and, right? And all of that took much longer and, you know, some could say so that region of music could, you know, get better, right? Have the time before it blew. I mean, whatever you want to say, right? However you want to cut an observation um, around how culture spread. Um, but now it happens so much quicker and it's, and you're being told that you'll be a better person if you accept this culture, right? Like if you use Axe body spray, girls will like you. Like that is laden with a lot of cultural assumptions about what's hot in the world, right? What your goal of you wanting ladies to want you, right? I mean, it just reinforces so many things in yes. culture. And I think we have so many commercials now, right? We have so many ways to make ourselves better in quotes, because whatever, what does better mean? And, you know, like, I'm, what does um, Alan Watts say? Um, a cloud never complains about being misshapen. Um, but anyway, well, right. Like it's like, you know, we're being sold. The, and so I think like that has shaped culture a lot recently. I am so glad uh, you went you went there with this, because one of the things I contemplate a lot is how we took uh, with the advent of modernity, right, we got rid of mythos. Right. So that if you looked at an ancient scripture, you had two options by which to look at it. It was either a fundamentalist truth or an unscientific fantasy, right? It, it didn't, the analysis didn't understand the sophistication with which human beings understood mythos. Like, the Greeks did not actually think that if they made it up to Mount Olympus, they would actually see Zeus there <laughs> with thunder, they understood that there was another realm, another realm, and they looked to that realm to give us meaning. And meaning for us uh, is both like, what is the story that we're a part of? And it also answers the key question, how do we get to belong here in this tribe, in this community? A guy called Jonah Sachs some years back wrote a beautiful book called Winning the Story Wars. And part of his point was, because we got rid of mythos, we just let marketers step in. Marketers are answering the same question that our myths used to answer. Why are we here? How did we get here? And most importantly, right. how do I get to belong here? Right? And so all of this stuff is just happening to us for sake of somebody else's profit. Right? Or just because we inherited some bad ideas. Like, what does it mean to be a man? 
right? That 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 the how problematic that is 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 becoming ever more painfully obvious as the, as the truth is revealed in the culture. And so this idea that we need to be participants, participants in in co-creating the culture that we want to live in, I think is is, is a most important one for us to be in conversation about. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you and I, and not to go down, you know, our spiritual path road, but just to sprinkle some of that in right now, um, you know, I think if there's something that we've learned in our continual, you know, journey for um, salvation or, you know, whatever word you, you, wherever you want to end up, um, I think we've understood that intention, right? Like Guru Mai says, like, pay attention to your intention, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you need to observe why, why am I doing this? Um, And for so many of our decisions, um, you know, the why probably doesn't feed us as much as we'd like, you know, and um, I was interviewing um, Chef El Simone from America's Test Kitchen on my podcast, which you can check out. Um, and the heart of the matter. <laughs> Gibran's on it. Um, she was, um, she got through ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she said that was so powerful is she said while she was sitting there in chemo, because you have a lot of time to think in chemo, one of the, she said one of the main things she was thinking of is how much time she wasted. Mm. Right? Like, and this idea of, you know, and she was also thinking about what she's going to do with her time, but it was with this backdrop of, like, how much she wasn't living her life, and now she's sitting here, you know, with an IV drip in her arm getting chemo, right? And when she said it, it, like, took my breath away Because I thought, you know, like I always say, show me your budget and your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. Um, And that's true, right? It's like, now we may know in our heart that our priorities don't actually align with what brings us joy and pleasure and freedom and happiness. Um, But at this point, unless you're going to stop and observe you know, we're all, including myself, I love things, right? We're all too acculturated um, to really get it, right? And to really understand it, unless we are going to stop and observe it, Um, you know? And I think probably a ton of your listeners are those people, and we know how hard it is, you know? And to step back and really, you know, pull back the onion. Yeah, that is so powerful. It makes me think of, a story of a guy in similar situation, but he actually thought he had six months to live. And they did some more research, and six months later, they realized they could they could solve this thing, and he actually got depressed because he had been more alive in those six months than he had been in the previous 40-something years of his life. right? And, and then we hear the stories of hospice workers. I tell you, nobody... Uh, goes to their last breath thinking, damn, my inbox is still full. No, no one's doing that. I, am, uh, I have been home because I travel so much. I've been home the whole month and it has been amazing. And one of the things I keep coming back to and I 
keep actively appreciating is is the magic of living with a seven-year-old, right? Just the pure magic of that and, and just trying to be present to that. And when I am, and I, I get better at it, when, when I am, there's nothing else that, that matters anywhere near as much as being so beautifully alive together. Right. right. Living in the present... Um, and I think that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's so tied to how I, I try to do my work, but living in the present is the greatest gift you can give yourself. And what's great about kids is like, they don't know no better. So like they can get you there quick. If you let them like play, make believe, you know, I mean, as someone who I don't have children, I don't have a desire to have children, but as you know, because I love being, you know, available in Darshan's life, like, you still need to be around kids. Like, even if you don't want them to come or live in your house, right? Like, um, and if you don't want them to live in your house, you shouldn't have kids, <laughs> right? Like, let's be clear. That can be a whole nother podcast on joy. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, that they... They don't know that they should be bogged down by the illusion so they can get lost in it, right? Illusion becomes fun. Like we live in a place where like pillows can become forts and, you know, where trees can, you know, make you superheroes and, you know, and, and all of these things that little kids love to do um, that we lose as as we start buying in, right, like to to everyday life. Yes, indeed. And, and this brings me to, to a question that I think our, our listeners will be interested in, in hearing about, which is, you are a highly accomplished person. You are right now starting what you call the whole new career. You're taking an amazing turn. Um, the parts of it that I've been a part of are really exciting. So obviously, there is an achievement motive, right? And the achievement motive demands some visualization, some living into the future, some getting it done kind of attitude, right? And and so how do you balance, well, everything you just said about presence, about the moment, about enjoying the laughter of children with this achievement motive? Because I think the achievement motive is great. I think it's- Oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> you know that I am- uh Highly, not only do, you know, am I, am, you know, ambitious um, and do I like achievements? Um, I like to be acknowledged for those, right? I mean, like, like, I mean, I'm a person, right? I mean, you're a person. We all have and we need that, right? I mean, can you imagine if, you know, back during the last ice age of the last 2000 homo sapiens living in Africa were just like, dude, we can't figure it out, dude, you know, <laughs> like... That would have been bad. Like, it's good that somewhere our brain shifted and we were like, build some tools. Like, we could figure this out, right? Like, um, I mean, now do we need to sell these tools at prices that poor people can't afford? You know, that's a whole nother question, right? But our our desire for achievement, I think, is very, very healthy. Um, but I think if you only, again, to, to get back to diversity is important, if you only have one thing, Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the thing that's going to do it for you. Um, then I don't know that you want to use achievement. Right. Like just because there's so much that you actually 
want to enjoy and be good at and have ambition in, you know? And like, for me, like right now, I mean, I love being an auntie and I, you know, and I like doing it. I'm, and I try to be like great at it when I do it. And, you know, I'm like, we're going to do dope things. And like, because I love that, right? Like that feeds me in the same way, um, you know, standing on stage for Interx does or, you know, getting an award does, right? Um, And I think we forget that though. We forget how good um, internal, intimate, private, you know, whatever you want to say, personal um, achievements can be, you know? So, I mean, I want to be a great daughter, Mm. you know, and I want to honor both of my parents Mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know, in ways that I think, you know, make me feel good. Right. And make them feel good. Um, so I think that if you're just looking at achievement as, you know, money or success or position, that's great. And you'll get there. Um, but you'll probably find at the end that, you know, you're still looking for those things to think about in your last breath. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and I'll, I'll share a thought that's helped me a lot uh, working with this, but just wanted to take a moment and honor the ways in which I watch you be a, a good daughter and care about those relationships. Um, and I, I've witnessed it over the years. Uh, you, you put effort in it uh, and it's lovely to witness. And you have some some amazing and interesting parents. <laughs> yes, uh, I do. They're wonderful. But uh, so shout out to them. Yes. Uh, Bill and Ellen and Bob, what's up? Holla. The... I've actually, over the last couple of years, I've been surprised by how influenced I've been by the the work of Tony Robbins, which has evolved quite a bit. And, you know, you I, I just imagined him, like so many people do, as the eternal informa- infomercial, egomaniacal salesman. And yet, as I look at his work, I, I'm moved by it, right? And I and I see that there's something beyond the caricature and, and even his own evolution. But but I digress. I bring him up in this case because I need to credit him for this. Uh, I knew and have known for a while that there's a change I want to make in how I do my work. And that change wasn't happening fast enough. Uh, and and I, for a little while there, I started to feel kind of like, caged potential, right? Like I had all this, all these things that I knew I could do. Uh, and I was... Right, you're scratching at the wall. Right, just kind of trapped in it. And and what I realized uh, when listening to Tony is I was really caught in the science of achievement and not, not being successful in it. And what I was doing was seeking fulfillment through achievement. Yes. And the distinction that he makes is mm, one I love that distinction between the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Right? And so if you focus on achievement, once you achieve the thing, once you want you, you said I'm gonna have interacts, you know, you've been working on a version of that for years, then it happens. Then you might be fulfilled for a day or a week or a month, but then you're Again, looking for the next thing to achieve. Exactly. And, you know, like, I th- I mean, I think people put, you know, what gets you up, right? Like, whatever the story that gets you out, right? If it's achievement, right? Like, or if it's ambition, right? Like, whatever the semantic that you want to put in there for um, action, you know, or like motivation towards action. Um, 
But again, to get back to the intention and the why, right? So one of the most liberating things that I ever did for myself was give myself permission to strive towards happiness mm. for myself um, the way I strive towards everything else. And this idea of me being happy um, and me being satisfied and me having and me showing up for me was became center. Mm. Um, and once you do that, then things have to change, right? I mean, and I think it's what led to this evolution of me getting out of nonprofits, right? Was I, I mean, I, I am a service, you know, person, right? Like I am, you know, we all have different, right, roles in tribe, right? Like, and my tribe is, or my role, I would like to think, um, is to figuring out how, we can come together and get what we need. You know, like it's always like that's always been my jam. And you know, it's personally, right? Like we'll sit down and be like, we need it. Well, how are we gonna get right? Like, I mean, it's just let's get this, let's do this. Like, that's always been me. And so for a long time, it was very easy to be fed by the accolades for doing that for other people. Right. Um, you know, and whether it was building the gathering for justice for Harry Belafonte, right? Like, or you know, doing it for candidates while in, you know, D.C. and being a political consultant and, you know, like being in the hospital for dehydration for John Kerry's, you know, like, I mean, what, what? Like, I'd rather be in the hospital for dehydration because, like, I hiked myself to exhaustion because I was like, you know, because I'm someone who loves hiking and, like, you know, put me in Hawaii and I'll walk forever, right? Like, so that's, you know, it, it's, I sort of shifted to realize that, like, and it's not that you don't have to have ambition towards it or, you know, again, whatever that's going to be, it's whatever's going to motivate you to actually take action on it is what you want to put behind it. Um, but if everything you're trying to achieve is outside, outside of you, I know there is no outside, but you know what I mean? Like outside yeah. of you, um, then you're never going to be fulfilled. That's right. That's right. No, this is, uh, Thank you for bringing that into. I'm actually aware right now that there seems to be some, some truck in the background. Okay, so let's pause. Okay. So, friends, as you know, the Fluid Ground Studio is an urban studio, and so here we hear uh, we hear the cityscape. It's fluid ground. Exactly. <laughs> I appreciate what you were saying, Malia, and, and it brought me to a thought and to a question. A long time ago. Uh, I read one of, the, uh, one of Elizabeth Gilbert's book, and she said that we relate to happiness like we relate to the weather. We, we think it just kind of comes or doesn't, right? And the shift that she had to make and the shift that you evidently have made is, no, actually, I am responsible for my happiness. I am here. I, I, I must find the ways to nurture it. And... And like you said earlier in this conversation, this is not to say that there's no discomfort in life because there's no growth without discomfort, but there's something very fulfilling about the right kind of discomfort. There's something uh, that, that brings us life about, about good discomfort. And, and where I want to go here is, because we talked about achievement, mm -hmm. we talked about achievement as a motive, mm -hmm. and 
what I'm also aware of is the do-gooders in us, and, and, and you and I have been, and I think are still good do-gooders, uh, but the, the people in the people in the worlds that we, in which we've lived, right? The, the, the kind of the non-profit industrial complex to, to, to over-categorize it. Um, there seems to be a sense that because you are dealing with social strife, that because there is so much suffering that you're trying to alleviate, uh, your own happiness starts to feel not allowed or wrong or not in solidarity in some way, it's almost like how dare I be well when the people that I'm trying to serve are so unwell. Well, I think it's almost like we've, like, you know, sort of like flipped, like the opposite of what Buddha said, right? Like we have become so attached to our suffering that it defines us. Right. Um, rather than detach from it, right? Um, wow, that's very important. Like, so suffering happens, discomfort happens, um, oppression happens, um, but what of it, <laughs> right? Like, um, and, and I know that um, I can literally think of, you know, so many in, in the network that would say, I'll tell you what of it. And have fabulous answers. It just doesn't serve me anymore um, to tie to that. And I don't know how to liberate people when I'm lost in it. Right. Right? Like, and not that I can liberate people, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But um, when um, I got, I, so I was walking through, you know, one of those little tchotchke shops on the Cape. Um, this was like years ago when I had just moved back after leaving the gathering, which, you know, again, like uh, you talk about it, like an uncomfortable, right? Like suffering thing um, was that transition out. Right. So I'm walking around and like the universe always does, there's this like plaque and the plaque is of a lighthouse and it says lighthouses don't run around chasing, looking for people to save. It just stands and shines. Yes. Um, and I mean, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is what I do. Like, this is how you do it, right? This is how you do change work. This is how you respect and honor mm -hmm. the discomfort of poverty, right? The discomfort, the oppression the dying, the horrificness, the torture, this is how you honor it. Not by chasing it, but by being, by having it not, by shining. Yeah, by being, by being. By, by being. By being the light. Our happiness, let me tell you right now, if we decided as people of color to be satisfied, the American economy would be on its knees because what would we buy? So much power. Right? Like, if we decided, um, you know, to not want in the same way, but to see the liberation of black and brown businesses being our number one priority to the point that we will, you know, buy from goodwill if we're not buying, 
from a black or brown business, things would get changed. Absolutely. Right? So, but you can't think of that when you're in need. Yeah. Because, well, why do I have to shop at Goodwill? Did it, right? No, baby, because we want to be free. Yeah. Like, that's wonderful. Walking through the woods at night following the North Star is a wonderful thing to do. Wonderful. And, you know, there's comforts that you leave then. And that was a conversation during slavery that we know happened, right? We know some slaves were like, this is comfortable. So let's, let's just do what we can here. Yeah, for sure. What I'm saying is we're not slaves. So let's bounce and see what we create from there. Cause we can't create it. Moses. Oh gosh. Now you got me preaching. Bring it, bring Moses, it. Moses 40 years in the desert. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned from, and I learned so much from, you know, and I don't, we don't have to get down this road, right? But from the longevity of Jewish people. Thinking about them right now these days. Yes, shout out um, to, and, but one of the things that I learned was that First of all, so they traveled the desert for 40 years so that they would not be slaves when they entered the promised land. And then the second thing that was explained to me, so I'm sorry if I'm, you know, if there's different interpretations and I was, you know, this one was explained to me, was that Moses did not, I don't think Moses got there. You know, it was like, right, he did not get there, right? We're Catholic, so I should know enough of this story, right? Um, And that that was also a lesson. That's right. Right. About generational shifts. Right. And because Moses was an enslaved person. Right. Um, And that he had to be to liberate slaves. Yes. But he couldn't be to lead a liberated people. Right. I mean, this is you're just opening a whole kind of worms here. (laughs) But what he had to have, what he had to have dual consciousness. Right. Because he was a slave person brought up with the kings and the pharaohs. So he knew both. He understood. He was uh, the the original uh, boundary crosser, or not, what do you call it when we when we get bridge builder, sh- yeah, when we shapeshifter. Get, yes, 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 yes. Um, but you and I had the the blessing of of seeing Desmond Tutu speak once. Mm. And what always strikes me about him and about so many people from that time period is. They're always laughing. You know, when I, uh, oftentimes when I would bring an object to, let's say, an altar that people are building together before a long retreat or process, I would often bring the picture of, a picture of Robben Island where Mandela was prisoner, a painting that he, a print of a painting that he made. And you see the bars, right? You see the bars. And then beyond the bars, you see beauty. And I'm like, that is somebody that you could lock up for 30 years and not succeed in taking his freedom away. That's the lighthouse power, right? That's like... And that, right, exactly. That's the lighthouse power, right? Like you... Um, so shout out to Greater Love Tabernacle, um, which is where I had a Pentecostal... Um, practice for several years. I participated. You in that participated with you. in that with me, um, and you know, and I remember we were doing like a you know a church fast or you know something. Like, we were fasting for something, 
And yeah, I don't know if it was Easter, you know, like I forget what the, the reason why we were doing the ritual, but we were doing the ritual as a church. And one of the things he said was, you know, don't go walking around complaining, like looking all like, oh, I'm so hungry. Right. He's like, cause that's not the point of like the fast, right? Like you don't want people to be like, oh, I'm not going to fast. Like, look at that. That looks miserable. Right. Like, th- like this is a glorious time, right? Like you're, you know, you're looking at ways to get better at ways to improve, right? You're, you're looking at your sins, you're, you know, doing whatever it is, right? Like it doesn't, it can be painful, but it doesn't have to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, pain, I think is something like, you know, they talk about like orgasmic births, right? Like, and even when I heard it, right? Like as someone who like can get as like hippy dippy energetically, right? Like as, uh, you know, as anyone else, like I was like, sure, right. You know? And I was like, yeah, this is not a thing. And I still don't know if it is, and I'm not going to know, but it's still a right, right? Like, I mean, there are women who said that they were able to, you know, that they had these orgasmic births. Um, If you can do that, right? Because you understand, right? That you're having a baby or whatever it is. Like, but if you can have an orgasm while your vagina is being pulled apart, we can have orgasms in a lot of places. That is such a beautiful <laughs> and powerful, powerful statement. And God is energy. God is energy. That's what it is. And 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 I just want to again, as as often happens when we're in these conversations, honor you for bringing that in so powerfully and beautifully into this discourse, right? Because. There just, there just seems to be a move. You know, I I grew up in a in in a in a in an intentional Catholic community that practiced in the charismatic tradition, and and there were all sort of wonderful things about that for me, not for a lot of other kids in it. <laughs> I, it, it just happened to work for me, and a lot of it didn't work. But there is this there's this underlying fundamentalist tendency that that makes us fear feeling good as if the only thing that happens when something feels good is that we will get so lost in it that we will never do anything we else. won't right we won't progress we won't be able to buy our axe body spray. so good you'll feel so good you won't care how you smell or who cares how you smell um like yeah yeah right i mean i think you know you know i've been playing with so my thought exercises you know at night as i do sometimes or you know my when I go in these like rabbit holes, right, of like philosophical thought has been like questioning the role of the rise of Western civilization, the Enlightenment, um, to the rise of Western civilization, the Enlightenment, but also the role that the Judeo-Christian Islamic um, tradition has played out, right? And so this... I mean, this idea of suffering and, you know, and, and also I just know Western, you know, like it might be an Eastern thing, although, 
you know, in my understanding of Buddha, that's the thing he seems to be moving people away from. Um, and I know he's not the only God and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I feel like your audience, right? Like, is your audience a chill audience or are, like they people who like harp on every little thing? If they're people that harp on every little thing, they should probably look for other podcasts. And you, sh- yeah, I was going to say, and you definitely shouldn't listen to when Rashad, I mean, when Rashad, when Jabron and I talk. Oh my God. <laughs> you, see? you see, there it is again. Here comes Rashad again. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on a little tangent here. <laughs> and now we're gonna have to tag Rashad on this. Rashad Robinson, who leads beautifully, leads color of change. Malia and I used to live in Boston and just be partners in crime for a long time. She moved to was it DC? Was DC. I, and there she started to hang out with Rashad. And so for a little while, I was uh, jealous of this of this being replaced. This being replaced by Rashad, and what you just heard is she she literally just called me Rashad. And by the way, I see Jabron now way more than I see Rashad. Like it's like it's flip flopped again, you know. Like, um, but anyway, what were we talking about before that tangent? <laughs> Gone. That's what being happened. happy. Being happy. Well, you were talking about suffering, the Julia Christian. Oh, tradition. right. And, and what I was saying is like, so how much? Do we like where do what do we need to deconstruct? Yeah. Right? Like and how much of this story um do we need to deconstruct? You know, to it it's like, you know, if you're gonna refinish a table, right? You gotta like file, you know, you gotta sand file it. You gotta sand it down, right? You have to get like the shit off of it, right? Yeah. Before you can get a smooth surface. It's like wh- where are we sanding? Right. 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 Um, and I think our attachment to suffering um, is so embedded in our story. I mean, I, you know, as, I mean, it comes from, you know, Puerto Rico, right? I mean, anything that's Catholic, bam, right? Like there's so much that just tells us that joy and good is something to be worked towards rather than remembering that joy and good is what was, Right. right? And not that we can't, not that, no, now because, you know, what we, you know, well, we have the automobile, so we can't go back. I'm not saying I want to go back to horseback, although the world, climate change is going to determine that, um, you know, whether we're here at all, right? Like, but we do have to sand away this storyline that feeling good is something to be earned um, and therefore it's something to either feel guilty about or not or... Um, you know, feeling good is the default. Right. And and it is what we cultivate. It's, it's what we cultivate. I mean, I think about it as fulfillment. Um, be, be, just because it's a little bit less um, purely sensory, that I, though I am all for the sensory. Um, and I also know ways in which my quest for for pleasures that are mainly sensory um also have also can leave me without fulfillment. That is not to say not to not to not to seek those pleasures. Right, but let me ask you this. So when you say sensory, you're talking about the five senses. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but when you were talking about the Judeo-Christian tradition, it, it brought me back to a, to a thought much earlier on in this conversation when we were talking about interacts and about what it means to participate as an audience and. I was. I often think about the impact of the Protestant Reformation, 
right? So the Protestant Reformation does a very good job at getting rid, rid of all these mediators, right? And we know that the, that the church had this monopoly on consciousness and power. And the printing press is born. And now so people can say, well, wait a minute, if I can read this book myself, do I really need the priest or this institution to tell me what to think or believe? And, 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 and I'm, I think of and that. And do I really need to pay that? Exactly. And, and, and there's, an, there's all kinds of positives that come in that. But at the same time, it, it, it eliminates so many other things. It eliminates the images and the sense and the getting on your knees and all of these other things that we do with our body in this ritualized interaction with the divine. And it reduces it all to, to, to your thought, uh, to your thought in relationship to the word and to whatever your spirit is supposed to be feeling in that, but it often gets caught in the intellect. And so it, it, it makes for this very kind of quote unquote sober ritual that then our audience then of course people of color rescue, where we rescue that as we engage the same traditions, we, we bring back the body. We bring back that 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 full engagement, That's right. that ritualized engagement with spirit. But I, I do think that people have been conditioned to participate quietly as individual receptors of whatever is being shared. And what you are talking about, uh, both then uh, talking about interest and now, is is what? How do we we redefine our participation? In, in this process of being becoming free, of being authentically happy, fulfilled, of, of, of feeling good, and yes, experiencing pleasure. You're asking me. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I would say that for my, you know, I think, and for everyone, like, set it as a North Star and then, like, stumble towards there, right? Meander with purpose. Um, you know, spend, start by spending two seconds a day loving yourself. And, you know, by the time you're spending five, you'll, you know, you'll have something to do, right? Like, and I won't just be sitting there feeling stupid that you're saying, oh, I love you, you know, I'm not saying affirmations, but, you know, what, whatever works for you, right? Like, um, I think this idea of letting go, of, of swinging the pendulum too far, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, and, and it also happened, I mean, again, this gets back to culture, right? I mean, I think part of the reason why people of color are, why the body has always stayed um, as a point of cultural ritual or, you know, whatever you want to call it, is that we have traditions like Sankofa, right? Like, like, like there's just, you know, stories. I mean, I, I think how often, how I was raised with the dead and like this, uh, this just has to do with, you know, this is more of my Italian side, right? But like in my Italian culture that I was raised in, like the dead is there. They are there. Or these are our ancestors. Right. But I mean, like, they're there. They like, you know, they mess with you. Right. Like, oh, your grandpa did, you know, he just, you know, like, and, and even, you know, and before, I mean, before I knew my first memory, I knew who my guardian angels were and that they were my dead grandpa. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, so walking with the dead is something I'm very comfortable doing. Right. Like, and I'm saying that story because I think like when you have, so, so I'm going to be more open to this idea of resurrection or right to more of like, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I think like the Puritan part of the Protestants. Right. You're right. Like did make it. 
very different than what happened with Catholicism and Santeria. Like I had never really thought about that. Or I mean, because one could say that Santeria is a Protestant movement. Right. It's pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a way in which it is, right? I mean, if I mean, there was no Martin Luther, right? Right. Um, but that's because you know Latinos didn't give a fuck, and they were like, "We're just going to do our ritual to you know the Virgin Mother, and this is and she's Oshun. Okay, great. We're out, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever." Um, so, but yeah, I never thought about that. Like why, because ritual is so inherent in who we are, right? It's why they become happy, right? We, we call them habits now, right? Seven habits of highly effective people, right? Whatever. But like, you know, meeting someone in many cultures is ritualistic. Yeah. 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 No, these are the things that we, that we have. So, so when you were talking about the the, the, the European Enlightenment, and I'm, I'm just looking at the time here as we begin. I know, I'm sorry, and, and I'm like getting us this on. Is, no, this is this is exhilarating. <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of conversation I want to bring. I mean, we haven't even talked about the bonobos. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, podcast number two, bonobos. <laughs> we start there. Can we, no, but can we do that podcast? I mean, can we do a podcast around like, like I would, I would love to do a podcast with you around feminine power liberation um, and how that looks in the world. I would be honored, moved, and excited to do so. Fabulous. For sure. For sure. That's a commitment made right here. Right here. On the Evolutionary Leadership Podcast. Yeah, and we'll air it on both of our podcasts. I like that. That'll be our first partner job together. That's that's perfect. That sounds right. Uh, I did lose my train of thought, though. We were talking about Santeria. We were talking about Enlightenment. The enlightenment. We were talking about, I often talk about, and I got this from Professor John Powell, the European Enlightenment Project of the Isolated Self. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, and, and you talked about bringing things to an extreme. So, so it's easy to just oversimplify, look at that and critique it as hyper-individualism, but but it was actually liberatory, right? Because prior to that, at least in a European context, individuality was reserved for lords and kings and bishops, and otherwise you were just one of the masses, right? And, and, and part of the king's body, if you will. And, and so to, to invent this kind of individual, it's a radically liberating thing. That's right. But like all experiments, like all social projects, it has reached its logical conclusion, right? That's right. And it yields today, a couple of hundred years later, it yields the most affluent society that the earth has ever seen, also as the most depressed, the most lonely, the most isolated, right? And so we want to pay what we are trying to do, your work, my work, the work of these evolutionary leaders that I interview on this podcast is we are trying to bring medicine to that ailment, to to weave us back together. And the ways in which we do that are through telling mythical stories, through participating in rituals that help us to define belonging, both in the community and in the cosmos. That's, I think, the work ahead. I think that is the work of evolutionary leadership. I mean, evolution, in order for us to evolve, we have to get back to the community. Um, And I think that, you know, and and what you said is key and come with our understanding of the individual. 
Exactly. Right? Um, but not lose. Yes. Right? The importance of the community. So, like, yeah, you know, we're not chasing Buffalo anymore. Um, but the role of the community for us to be healthy, we evolved chasing Buffalo, right? Like, like the things that make us happy and healthy, um, are things that also come from community. Um, and to be able to thrive, to be able to share your individuality in community is critical. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many people watch Carl Pilkington, an idiot abroad, but it is, if you like British comedy, it's a must watch. Um, and there's this scene where he's like off on some, you know, like South Pacific Island, right? Like, and people are there and they're, you know, they're meeting him and they're in, you know, they're in traditional gear, right? And they're doing the whole traditional thing and showing him like how they live. And like, at one point in the back, there's a woman who's just walking, dragging an axe in some jeans <laughs> and like a top. And he looks over and he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, like there's always one who's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, I'm out. I'm not doing like, And you should be allowed, right? Like, and the community's like, yeah, that's Joan. You know, she just, she doesn't play when we, when we play, you know, like our cosplay welcoming visitors or whatever, right? Like, and it's, that's okay too, right? right. It's like the individuality mm-hmm. is okay too. Um, but there is something very important and, and we've lost that, right? I mean, so to, to bring up, you know, Sankofa or my favorite Martin Luther King speech that your listeners should listen to the, his speech on lost values that he gave in 1956. Um, there are some things that are important enough to go back and get, right? I mean, Valerie spoke about that at Interacts, right? Like there are some things that you need in order to move forward. And if you don't have them, you won't move forward. And I think what we're seeing now is because of our loss of the communal, right? Of the intimate, not sexual, of the right, like of all of the nuance of relationship. Um, we're now just like spinning well, but like in the same place, right? And so it's digging a hole. Yes. Right? Like it's no longer we're progressing, but we're progressing downwards, like not yeah. necessarily outwards. Yes. Um and outwards is where we want to go. So we just have to, you know, go back and get some of those things and you know, and remember that um people should be healthy and you know, people should have access to healthy water and air and you know, and all those things. And um, the last thing I want to say about evolutionary leadership um, and this concept that I think I told you about that, like, blew my mind and I'm still wrestling with, um, this idea of existence bias, you know, and the idea that we have the right to exist as a species. I mean, it's just so prejudice, right? Like, it's foul. Um, and it hasn't been sitting right with me since I heard it. Um, and especially because... I know how much I want to exist and I know how much I think we have a right to exist, but getting there, you know, getting back to where we're reinserting ourselves um, into nature's ecosystem, I think is the most important evolutionary step we can take. That is beautiful. That is re- that, that kind of remembering that, that kind of remembering. Because right, everything else is BS, right? Like, I mean, you know, is things going to, you know, are things going to make you happy 
Or, you know, is it going to be, you know, you're going to walk towards God, you know, like, I mean, whatever, whatever it is, I think like what's caused the most imbalance has been that removal. Yes. No, that is, that is exactly right. That separation has been, that is, and that that was a part of the individual enlightenment. That's why, I mean, just to tie it back, because I know sometimes I just like throw in balls and I don't (laughs) mention what I'm throwing out. That, that balls for that. No, no, I I was striking right there with you. You know, I'm, I'm currently getting ready to, to participate in, in ceremony and, and people ask me, well, why do you go to ceremony? And the best answer I can give them is this, this ritual, this practice, this communion with, with plants leaves me feeling more of this earth, right? It makes me feel like my feet are not only on the ground, but they they come from the ground. I, I belong here. This is what I'm constituted of. This is what this body will once again become. And that kind of grounding, is it's itself liberating. How do you feel that people ask you that? And the reason why I ask, because as you were asked, you know, as you were saying, it's something that, you know, I... You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not closed about much of my life. Um, there are some things I am, but you know, not much. But it's not something I put on Front Street, right? As open as as you are. But I also think that, like, if you were to say, like, you know, I'm going back to Catholic, you know, I'm 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 going back to church, right? People wouldn't say, why do you like? We would just get it. Oh, he, you know, he wants he's chilling with Jesus now for a little bit, right? Like, and so I, I so as you were saying it, I was like. What is, there's still this stigma, right, towards this idea that consciousness um, should be provided without assistance or, or without. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more, um, it's definitely one of the more annoying uh, questions when it comes from that place. You know, it, it often does not, it often comes from a very beautiful place. But one of the things I get most annoyed by is is this people that say, and I could name a few off the top of my head because it's annoying to me. Um, people that say, "Well, why can't you get there on your own?" Or, "My goal is to get there on your own, on my own." And you know what? I'm all for it. Like every, but what everybody, everybody even mean get there on your own. I don't understand. I mean, if you're sitting in meditation, you're not getting there on your own. If you're, <laughs> you know, petting your cat, you're not getting there on your own. It, 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 it's a misunderstanding of of the gifts that the earth has given us. Um, I often blame it all on Nancy Reagan, uh, but that's a whole other story. That's a whole other other story. Um, But it is is awesome to be in conversation with you. It does feel like we can go on forever uh, because it is still early in my podcasting career over here. I, I am going to move us towards what's feeling like an abrupt close. But I will, I will, I will say. But, Sorry, y'all. But I am really comfortable in knowing that that I'll be interviewed in your podcast tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and that's real, y'all. And and that you and I will, will be in these conversations. This question, you know, like like you have your rapid fire questions, and, and so many good podcasters do. I, I I only have one. It's not so much a rapid fire question, but it, but it is. It is a core inquiry that I am in on my behalf and not just mine. And, and the question that I'm asking people, and especially the powerful women 
that I'm getting to interview is uh, in these days where where the ugly side of men uh, has become so public. And, and I know I say public because you have known it like every woman has known it privately uh, for so long. But now it's it's on blast. It's being shown. Um, I know for sure uh, the ways in which I've been a participant in, in, in that toxic masculinity, that patriarchal culture. And it, and it's it's work that I'm committed to to atoning for, if you will. Uh, what what should men do? What would you say to men in these times? Um, so two things. One, I want to appreciate the journey and what you mean when you say, um, you know, it's something that you recognize. I think many men have, you know, maybe strive to notice if women are talking in meetings more or things like that. Um, but you've actually provided a platform for, you know, men to hang um, hang on, you know, and like explore with, which I think is so important. Um, you can wring your hands with distress or you can do something about it. Um, and it, it was just so amazing to have you on Interacts. Um, the second thing that I would say is that men need to love them. Like it, it's my answer to everything. Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, right? Like we need men to step away from a story that in certain ways serves them really well. You know, I mean, I would love a Puerto Rican mother and or wife or an Italian mother and or wife, right? Like, um, trained subservience is, you know, I could see where it's, it's easy, especially when it comes, you know, with like sexual and food and right. I mean, like the subservience is like on so many levels, like, but I can't explain like my what my experience is is not what's going to change men. I think men being comfortable in a feminization of power. Mm, wow, what a beautiful statement. Um, and in a shifting of everything from the temperature of a fucking building. Right, like which they get to dominate, Um, you know, to who sits where at a table, right? I mean, just to to what is expected, Um, you know, all the action that I would like men to take, and all the ways, all the ways that I would like to answer your question, don't matter until men love themselves. Mm -hmm. I guess so. That's why I'm starting with love. Like I have a whole list of what you should do. Um, but it doesn't matter because if you're not comfortable doing it, or if you don't see the benefit in doing it, or if you don't see the things that aren't serving you, then you're not actually going to bring it into habits. Yeah. Um, and so I'd rather not just set the expectation, like just love yourself. And once you love yourself, like, you know, I'll love myself, you love yourself. And then we come together and we say, what's up? That is a perfect, <laughs> perfect way to end. Malia. Yeah, we'll do the that podcast on relationships at another point. I think I think we have a bunch coming. This has been um, exhilarating. It's been a pleasure. I love you so much. Thank you for being on this journey uh, and for allowing me to be part of it. I love you so much. And thank you for being in my life.